Well, good morning, and we want to uh, welcome you to our Sunday morning uh, broadcast. We appreciate uh, those who are joining us today via Facebook Live and uh, those who may be listening to this and rebroadcast later today uh, or this week. And uh, as Peggy played, we, we look forward to a, a day when we can gather together uh, again, uh, certainly here in the gym after cases begin uh, to go down. Uh, even more when uh, the effects of this virus are gone from our community and we feel we can safely gather in the sanctuary again without all the uh, preventive protocols that we have to have in place right now. Uh, but most of all, we look forward to the day when we'll be gathered together with the Lord, uh, with all those who have gone on before, but most importantly, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, we look forward to that day, but until then, uh, we'll continue to serve the Lord in faithfulness. Uh, in these days. So let's go to God in prayer now and ask for his guidance and his leadership over this service and over every heart and every life that will listen uh, to this service today. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you uh, for this day that you've given us. It's a gift. And God, I pray we never uh, come to a place where we're not grateful for just the blessing of another day. Father, praise we've gathered together for this service today uh, that his needs are found in every heart. God, we pray your spirit will work and bring about your desired will in every heart and in every life. God, we do pray for those in our church family who are dealing with physical challenges and hardship. Pray for those we know they're going to be having surgeries this week. Pray your perfect will would be done in their heart and their life. God, you'll bring healing about in the lives of others where it is needed in accordance with your will. Comfort those today, God, that are grieving because of loss within their family. God, only you can bring peace that passes all understanding. It can only be known through Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that it will be found in their life even now. Father, we pray for those that are listening that have spiritual needs today. We pray for the one who's never been saved, God who's never repented and trusted Christ by faith and thereby been placed on the winning side. God, we pray that they'll make that decision today to turn, to repent, and trust Christ to surrender their life to his lordship. God, I pray you'll bring our lives today as believers uh, under the further captivity and lordship of Jesus Christ. God, might we be so faithful in these days. And God, you be glorified through that faithfulness. Father, speak to us today. Encourage us. Father, we thank you for the precious blood that you shed 2,000 years ago. God, while we were yet sinners, Christ came and died for us so that we might forgive, we might receive your forgiveness. And God, we might experience the adoption uh, into the family of God. And so we thank you for the precious blood that still saves today. God, bless this time. Might you be honored and might you be glorified through everything that's said and done in this place today. It's in Jesus' precious, holy, and saving name we pray. And amen. You pray for Peggy as she sings this morning. The blood that
praise the Lord. Amen. I'll ask you to take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to the Old Testament book of Obadiah. The Old Testament book uh, of Obadiah. It's the uh, shortest book in uh, the Old Testament. It's one of the five one-chapter books in uh, the Bible. And so if you'll be finding the Old Testament book of Obadiah, and this morning I want to speak to you on this subject, the winning side. The winning side. It's through and alone uh, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that we're able to be a part and be placed on uh, the winning side. The book of Obadiah, and we'll begin to read in verse number 1 uh, this morning. Where the Bible says, The vision of Obadiah, thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, let us rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. If thieves had come to you, if robbers by night, oh, how you will be cut off. Would, you not, would they not have stolen till they had enough? If grape gatherers had come to you, would they not have left some gleanings? Oh, how Esau shall be searched out, how his hidden treasure shall be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you. No one is aware of it. Why not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom and the understanding from the mountains of Esau? Then your mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off by slaughter. For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. In that day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces, when foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. But you should not have gazed on the day of your brother, in the day of his captivity, nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Judah, in the day of their destruction, nor should you have spoken proudly in the day of their distress." You should not have entered the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Indeed, you should not have gazed on their affliction in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance in the day of their calamity. You should not have stood at the crossroads to cut off those among them who escaped, nor you should have delivered up those among them who remained in the day of distress. For the day of the Lord is upon all nations it is near." As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall return upon your own head. For as you drank on my holy mountain, so shall all the nations drink continually. Yes, they shall drink and swallow as though they had never been. But, the mountain, but on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness. The house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame. But the house of Esau shall be stubble, and they shall kindle them and devour them. And no survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. 
the south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowlands shall possess Philistia, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead, and the captives of the host of the children of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath. The captives of Jerusalem who are in Shepherd shall possess the cities of the south. Then saviors shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. Let's pray together again. Father, we ask that your Spirit would speak to us today. Father, I pray for those again who have never been saved, that your Spirit would convict them of their lostness, God, their need for Christ. God, I pray they'll repent and trust Him today. And Father, I pray you'll encourage every believer today who by faith has repented and trust Christ to be Lord of their life. Encourage us today, God, that if we're with Jesus Christ, we're on the winning side. And God will live in a way, and God will respond to adversity and to those who do evil against us in a way that honors Christ and displays the love of Christ. Be in this time, God. Draw us to your side during a time of invitation. Might we respond to what you call us to do today? It's in Jesus' name we pray, and amen. There's not really a lot known uh, about the author of the book we're reading today, Obadiah. Uh, there were several men who were named Obadiah in the Old Testament, but we really don't know when Obadiah served. There are different uh, theories uh, as to exactly the dating of this book. All we really know is that Obadiah was God's man and that God called him to deliver a message of judgment to Edom. Now remember, Edom was the result of one man by the name of Esau. And so to really, for the, the, the text today and the message, uh, to really have more uh, substance to it, you have to go and do some background. You have to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. And remember that in Genesis 25, uh, the, the wife of Isaac was pregnant with twins, and she felt a great disturbance within her. Literally, they fought together, uh, even in her womb. And, but God had promised that the older would serve the younger. One of her son's name was Esau, and the other son, was the name, his name was Jacob. And it was God's desire that the covenant promises and that the covenant lineage that led all the way to Christ would go through Jacob and not through Esau. But Jacob and his mother really didn't help that challenge that would be in his life. Because you'll remember from our studies in the book of Genesis, Jacob schemed away and he plotted uh, to get his father's blessing upon his life and only furthered the divide that existed between those two brothers. In Genesis chapter uh, 28, uh, verses 6 through 9, uh, after Esau had departed, after Jacob had schemed to get the blessing from his father, pretending to be Esau, the Bible says in verse number 6 of Genesis chapter 28 that Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob, and he sent him away to Padan Aram, and he took for himself a wife from there, uh, and that he blessed him and gave him charge, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Uh, but he didn't do that. He turned away from his father's advice, and really he began to turn away from the family of God that had began in Abraham. And Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac, verse 8. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalah, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, uh, the sister of Nabaljah, and to be his wife in addition to the wives that he already had. And so Esau began to drift away and to plant his life and to grow a family 
apart from the direction of God and his word and its lordship over his lives. And out of Esau developed a nation known as Edom, the Edomites. And there was always friction between the Edomites and between the nation of Israel. You'll remember that after the Lord uh, led the nation of Israel out of captivity from Egypt and they began to wander, Moses requested from the king of Edom that they be able to have safe passage through the nation of Edom. And in Numbers chapter 20, begin to read in verse number 14, the Bible says this, Now Moses sent messengers from Kadesh to the king of Edom, saying, Thus your brother Israel, you know all the hardship that has befallen us. Thus says your brother Israel. He says, Look, we're your family. Don't forget where we came from. We all came from the same mother. Uh, they came from Rebekah. And he says, let us pass safely through you. We won't eat, we won't drink, we just want to pass through. But the Bible says in verse number 21 of Numbers chapter 20 that Edom refused to give Israel passage through his territory, so Israel turned away from him. So they didn't aid Israel in their time of need. And the Bible goes on to give example that when other nations began to turn against Israel, Edom even joined forces with them and sinned against God uh, by bringing damage and calamity upon the nation of Israel. And so Edom has crossed God's deadline. And God calls Obadiah. Look at verse 1 of our text. Thus says the Lord. God has a message from Edom that they've crossed his deadline and that judgment is swiftly to come against them. Remember that there's three things to look for in every text. We've show, shared this over and over during times of discipleship here at the church. Number one, there is the original message uh, to the original audience. We always want to seek to find that as we read a passage of Scripture. What is it that God was trying to seek to say through the writer to the original intended recipient of audience? But number two, we also want to find what the time-transcending truth is. What is the truth that is there, uh, the biblical truths that are there in that text that will never, ever change? And then number three, we want to discover how we can apply that to our life right now. Not taking it out of context, but in context with those timeless truths. How is it that this applies to our lives? And so the message of Obadiah, it has truth. It has application for us today. And there's three truths that I want you to notice from this text today. Number one, I want you to notice the treacherous risk of deceptive pride. The treacherous risk of deceptive pride because, A, no one is beyond God's reach. No one is beyond God's reach. Edom thought they were. They thought that they were beyond the reach of God, and they could live their life and treat Israel however they wanted to, but they had been blinded by their pride. Proverbs chapter 16 and verse number 18, the author of Proverbs writes this, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. There's an absence of humility. One is focused upon themselves. One of the greatest definitions of pride is the middle letter, I. A complete and total focus upon oneself. And that described the nation of Israel. And God says in verse number 2, he says, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You shall be greatly despised. Verse 3, because the pride of your heart has deceived you. They had some accomplishments, and they had some status, and they had some real estate that they took pride in that thought, they thought it made them impregnable, that there was no way anyone could ever 
bring them down. It was the pride of their heart. The pride of your heart has deceived you, verse 3. You who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high. You who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Uh, one of the cities that they had was the rock city of Petra. It can still be visited today. It was literally a city that was carved out of cliffs. And it was hard to get to. It was well, could easily be defended. And so they thought, man, there's, there's no force. There is no one that can come to us. Verse number 4, God says, Though you ascend as high as the eagle, and though you set your nest among the stars, God says from there, I will bring you down. I'll bring you down. Thus says the Lord. God says, I'll do this. I'll bring you down. Verse 6, he says, oh, oh, how shall Esau be searched out? God had already sent. Verse 1, uh, Obadiah says, we, we've heard a report from the Lord. And the messenger's been sent among the nations, saying, Arise, and let us rise up against Edom, her, for battle. God had already allowed someone to go about to all the nations to begin to stir them up to turn against Edom. Just as God had used other nations to judge Israel, now God would use nations to judge Edom. Edom thought that they were beyond anyone's grasp. There's no one that can ever tear us down. There's no one that can, uh, can breach uh, into our city. But God said, you're not beyond my reach. They thought they were beyond. They thought they were beyond God's touch, but they weren't. And so there's, there's, there's the treacherous risk of, of deceptive pride when we think we're beyond God's reach. They were deceived by their pride. Psalm chapter 2, verse 1 through 6 says this, Why do the nations rage? And why do the people plod a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against His anointed, saying, Let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. Now listen to what verse 4 says. He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then He shall speak to them in His wrath and distress them from His deep displeasure. Yet I have set my King on my holy hill of Zion. The pride of one's heart thinks they're above and beyond God and can even uh, conquer what it is that God desires to do or to turn it away. But God says, I will laugh at them. I will hold them in derision. Psalm 89, verses 6 through 3 say this. Psalm 89, verses 6 through 3. For who in the heavens can be compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty can be likened to the Lord? God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all those around Him. O Lord of hosts, who is mighty like You, O Lord? Your faithfulness also surrounds You. You rule the raging sea. When its waves rise, You still them. You have broken Rahab or Egypt in pieces as one who is slain. You have scattered your enemies with your mighty arm. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world in all its fullness. You have founded them. The north and the south, you created them. Tabor and Hermon rejoice in your name. You have a mighty arm, strong as your hand, and high is your right hand. Edom thought that they were beyond God. God could never hold them accountable. God couldn't break through into Petra and all their cities and all through all the uh, confederacies that they had made with surrounding nations. But God reminded them, you're not beyond my touch. I alone am God. James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17 says this, 
Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we'll go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life, even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away? Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast, literally, but now you are prideful in your arrogance. You boast in your pride. All such boasting, James says, is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does it not, does it not to him it's sin. It's, it's a prideful person that thinks that there's a part of their life that's beyond God's view or God's touch. And so many people plan out their lives and plan out the direction of their life as if they're Lord over it, as if there's nothing and no one that can stop it. But James reminds us that all such boasting is, is arrogance. And it's foolish because, friend, there's no one and no one's life that is beyond the touch of God. And, friend, at any time, God can step forward into our lives and influence His will at His desire. My friend, you couldn't draw your next breath right now unless God allowed it. And so Edom need to be reminded of the treacherous risk of deceptive pride because no one is above or beyond the touch of God. And secondly the treacherous risk of deceptive pride because no one is wiser than God. No one is wiser than God. Edom thought they were. Look what the Bible says in verse number 8. God says through Obadiah, when I, Will I not in that day, the day that I bring destruction against you, that I bring calamity against you, will I not in that day, says the Lord, even destroy the wise men from Edom? Uh, history shows from during this time Edom was very proud of the scholars that they had, the wise philosophers. They prided themselves in their national wisdom and, and the men that had uh, conceived all of these thoughts and processes by how to live. I mean, to, to think, friend, if you, you, you can look later today uh, at, at that rock city of Petra, the engineering feat that that was, the wisdom that it had to take to be able to carve uh, those, those cities and those structures out of the side of a mountainside when tools were so primitive uh, at best so many years ago. That took a lot of wisdom, but they had pride in their wisdom rather than giving honor and glory to the one from where the wisdom came. God says, I'll destroy the wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountains of Esau. Then your mighty men, O Teman, shall be dismayed to the end that everyone from the mountains of Esau may be cut off to slaughter. They thought they were wiser than God. But verse 7 says, God will bring a confederacy together, all the men of your confederacy that you've linked arms with, to try to find strength rather than resting in the strength that you were born into. And that was the family of God. Though they weren't going to be the family, though Esau was not going to be the man that the covenant promises went through, he still could have been a part of the family of God. Not every person can occupy the same job. Not everyone's going to have the same calling, but we can all be a part of the body of Christ. And he didn't want that. If he couldn't be in charge, if he couldn't be the one of whom the light would shine on, Esau wanted no part of it. And so God says, this confederacy that you've tried to find strength in rather than me, they'll force you to the border. The men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. Those who eat your bread shall lay a trap for you and no one is aware of it. God says, you think you're so wise, and you can't even see and read through the flattery 
of all these people who are telling you how much they love you and like you, and they're fixing to kill you. You think you're wise, but you're not. God says your, your wisdom will be brought to nothing. They rejected God's wisdom. Genesis chapter 25 and verse number 23, God had declared that the older will serve the younger. That would be Esau's place. But he rejected God's will for his life. He said, we don't, we don't want that. God, I know better. I know what you say, this is what you want me to do, and this is your will for my life, but I'm not going to receive that. I have a better plan. I have a, a better desire. And people do that every day. Christians do it all the time. I know the Word of God says this is what it takes uh, to, to raise children uh, that will honor God. But we're not going to do that. We're going to do what the world says. I, I know this is what the Bible says and how a New Testament church is supposed to function. But we're not going to do that. I know the Bible says this is how to have a successful marriage. But, but we're not going to do that. We know better. Man has done it with the plan of salvation. The Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Verse number 18 says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Literally, in the Greek, that's where we get our word moronic. For the, for the message of the cross is, is moronic to those who are perishing, those who've never been saved, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. Paul kept continued to write in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 19, For it is written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I'll bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. He's quoting Isaiah chapter 29 and verse number 14, where during Isaiah's ministry, Assyria was about to invade the southern kingdom. And God had called Isaiah to, to encourage the king and to encourage the nation and to call them to repentance. But all the so-called wise guys, the wise people, all the, all the counselors that were experts in foreign policy, they told the king, listen, the only way we're going to be able to survive a serious attack is to have a confederation, an alliance with Egypt. But God began to speak to Isaiah, and he came into the presence of the king. He said, listen, we don't need, we don't need Egypt. All we need is God. And God sent one angel, the Bible says, in Isaiah chapter 37, and one angel killed 185,000 Assyrians. The wisdom of man said, turn to Egypt, but the wisdom of of God said, trust in me. Paul continues to say, where is the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For the Jews require a sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we cre preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Friend, listen to me. Don't let the wisdom of this world that amounts to nothing keep you from the simplicity of salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. The wisdom of the world says, follow your heart. You've got one life to live, so live for you. The wisdom of the world says, there's no way that a God of love could ever send anybody to a place called hell. But friend, the truth of God's word says, there's a place called heaven, and there is a place called hell. And the only people that go to heaven are those who repent and trust in Jesus Christ to be their Lord and Savior. And friend, the default is this. All those who will not receive Jesus Christ spend eternity in a place called hell. And so wisdom says, 
turn and receive Jesus Christ because there's no other name given among men whereby you must be saved. So don't miss out on heaven because of the so-called wisdom of man because, friend, there's no wisdom in it. True wisdom is found in knowing God through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And don't miss out on the abundant life that God has for you. Esau thought he was so much smarter than God. And there are disciples today that think that. God, I know your word says this, but, but, I'm going to do this, and we're going to go in this direction. And we're going we're to build these habits into our lives and these, these commitments. And that's the wisdom of the world. If it makes me happy, it must be right. But friend, it's not about whether it makes you happy, it's what makes you holy. What further separates you unto the usefulness and the surrender to the lordship of God. So don't miss out on the abundant life with the foolishness of men. Experience God's best plan for you by submitting yourself to the wisdom that he has that can only be found through his word and through a surrendered relationship with him. And don't be blinded into thinking, friend, that you can hide from God. Edom did. They thought we're up here on this rock and God can't see into our life. God can't see what's taking place. And many a believer is deceived to thinking, into thinking that they can hide sin from God. Friend, there's not a place you can go. There's not a part in your heart or in your life that you can hide from God. He sees all and he knows all. And so there's the treacherous risk of deceptive pride. And Edom ran that risk. They thought they were beyond God's reach and they thought that they were wiser than God but they weren't. The second truth that we can learn from our text today, not only is there a treacherous risk uh, from deceptive pride and of deceptive pride, but number two, there is the tragic reward, the tragic reward of sinful living. Sin has a price. Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. God will judge sin. So, Obadiah begins to uh, preach and to share this message of judgment, and probably Eden was standing like a y'all young kids do. They're, they had their hands out. Well, why? What, what have we done? What, what is it that we've done against God and against Israel? Well, verse 10, he says, For violence against your brother Jacob. And he reminded him, Your brother, he said, You're, you're from the same family. You separated yourself. He said, But this is your brother that you've. You've done these things too. He said, for violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off from ever. All of your arrogance, all of your pride, all your pride in wisdom and in your possessions, he said, it's going to be gone. You're not going to walk with your head held uh, high anymore. He says, you're, you're going you're to have shame that will, that will cover you. You'll be absolutely cut off forever. Verse 11, in the day that you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried away captive his forces when foreigners entered these gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, he says, even you were as one of them. Psalm 83 verses 1 through 8 says this, God, do not keep, do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace and do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult. Just as Edom and the other nations united the confederacy to come against Israel, there were some of the righteous remnant that began to pray to God for protection and for him to move. He says, those who hate you have lifted up their head. 
They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. And they have said, Come, let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. For they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you. The, the one that prayed says, God, it's not against us. He says, we're your people, so really, it's against you, God, that they've done this, and that's what had happened. Listen to verse 6. He said, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab, the Hagagites, Gabel, Ammon, and Amalek, Philistia, and the inhabitants of Tyre, Assyria, also have joined with them. They have helped the children of Lot. Edom was right in the midst of all those who were seeking to make Israel's name cease to exist. And then when adversity came into their midst, verse number uh, 12, they rejoiced in that. God says, but you should not have gazed on the day of your brother. That is to gloat. You shouldn't have gloated when hardship and destruction came to them in the day of his captivity. Nor should you have rejoiced over the children of Israel in the day of their destruction. Nor should have you spoken proudly in the day of their distress. God says, you gloated, you rejoiced, and you were proud. Uh, it's, it's, it's like when, and, and this is okay within the right heart, it's when your team wins and another team loses, you rejoice that your team won. Well, when Israel suffered hardship and destruction, Edom began to cheer as people were dying. As their brother was being dismantled, the, the people that God says, I'll bless those that bless you, I'll curse those that curse you, uh, Genesis 12, 3, they began to rejoice. They thought, man, this is great. They gloated, they rejoiced, they, they, they were proud. And God says in verse number 12, you should not have spoken proudly. You shouldn't have done this. You shouldn't have been excited that hardship was coming against them. And then when they were wounded, when they were down, when they were very vulnerable, verse 13, you should not have entered the gate of my people the day of their calamity. You waited till they were hurt and they were wounded and they couldn't defend themselves. Then, then you entered uh, you furthered the hurt. You entered the gate of the people. Indeed, you should not have gloated upon their afflictions. You went through the city in the day of their calamity, nor laid hands on their substance. They began to rob from them the, the possessions that God had given them to live and to, to continue to grow families so that in the fullness of time, Galatians 4, 4, Christ would come. That was God's mission for the nation of Israel, to be fruitful and multiply, to continue to grow a, a godly generation after a godly generation, the possessions that God had given them to be able to survive and then to rebuild from this hardship. He said, you took that from them. It's just as if someone's sick and they go to the pharmacy and the, med and the medicine that they have and able to get well, if someone comes and steals that medicine, and laughs at them in hopes that they'll not get better. He said, you did those things. Verse 14, and then as those, some began to retreat so that they could rebuild, you stood at the crossroads, verse 14, to cut off those who escaped. You sh and then you helped deliver them to those who remained. God says, you shouldn't have done this. Sin against them was sin against me. And God was long-suffering. God wanted Edom to repent just as he wants all people to repent. From the very beginning, he said that in Genesis 12. There, I'll bless those that bless you. I'll curse those that curse you. And in you shall all families of the world be blessed. All people. God wanted the Edomites to be saved. But just as sure as he wanted them to be saved, friend, sin has a deadline. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says this, The Lord is not slack 
concerning His promise. It's some count slackness, but it's long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And God wanted that, but they'd crossed the deadline. And now it was time to pay. And so Edom needed to understand, verse number 15, that now it was payday. Verse 15 of Obadiah says, For the day of the Lord is upon all na- the day of the Lord upon all nations is near. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your reprisal shall be upon your own head. Galatians 6, 7. It, it's the law of reciprocity. Where the Apostle Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows. That will he also reap. All spiritual terrorists will have their day in court. All spiritual terrorists, all those who stand against the people of God and the work of God are standing against God and the mission of God. And God will deal with them. They'll have their day. What you sow, you will reap. He says, the day of the Lord is near you. Your repayment is about to be upon your head. Verse number 12, they, they rejoiced. They rejoiced when, when, when Israel suffered defeat. They stood and they cheered. The book of Revelation speaks about a worldwide celebration that will take place one day. The Bible says in the last days, God will call two witnesses who will boldly speak a word of judgment. They'll be sealed. The Bible says that though when they finish their testimony, in verse number 7, after they've completed what it is that God wants them to say, though they've been sealed and nothing can hurt them, during the Great Tribulation, then God will move that hand of protection. The Bible says when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them and overcome them and kill them, only because God God allows it. Verse 8 of Revelation says, And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, spiritually, which is called Sodom in Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, literally over their death. John continues to write and say, And will make merry... And not only that, they're going to send gifts to one another in celebration of the calamity that's happened against these because the two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. How'd they torment people? With the Word of God. What drove the lost world absolutely nuts was that these two men stood and preached exactly what God wanted the world to hear. And then when they were overcome, when they were dead, when the message was silenced, they rejoiced over that. They thought it was just absolutely wonderful. And you say, well, man, that's terrible. And it is. But you know, God's people do it all the time. They do it all the time. Friend, I want you to know there's a big difference between justice and vengeance. We should always seek for justice. Justice should be served. But it's the heart in which it is brought about and executed that makes the difference between justice and vengeance. Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number 35 says this, Vengeance is mine and recompense. Their foot shall slip in due time, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and the things to come hasten upon them. God says, I'll deal with people. God says, vengeance, justice is for man to see brought about and the authorities of law that have been established. But ultimate vengeance lies in the hands of God and Him alone. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, began to read in verse number 17. 
He says, repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. The Bible doesn't say that we're to be doormats, and the Bible doesn't say that we're not to seek justice. But it's the heart that we seek justice from that really makes the difference. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and in verse number 44, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And so as we seek justice, and justice should be brought about when someone does wrong, there should be a brokenness in our lives over what happened to that person. And really a brokenness over what could have been. There should have been a brokenness in the life of the nation of Israel as they looked at Esau and saw really what kind of people they could have been for the Lord. The kind of man that Esau was, what he could have done for the kingdom of God. The Edomites and all the wisdom they had, if they would have served the Lord, how much they could have accomplished for the Lord's name. In the day in which we live, friend, when people do wrong and people do wrong against us, we should seek justice. But we shouldn't seek vengeance upon them. That belongs to the Lord. There should be a brokenness upon us even when justice has taken place of what really has been lost in that person's life. What, what could have been, what could have, could have come about. We see it played out in the life of the church through uh, church discipline. Remember that there's a balance. Uh, there's a big difference between vengeance and justice. But there's also a balance between the love of Christ and injustice. And for justice to be carried out in a godly way, you have to stay balanced in the middle. There's some churches that are so full, quote-unquote, of the love of Christ, that they just look the other way because they don't want to hurt anybody. But yet there are some churches that are so full of hate, all they want to do is hold people accountable all the time to, to, to self-establish rules and regulations. And what God calls the local church to do, or the church will lose its purity and the blessing of God and the presence of God, is when there is sin that's unrepentant, Matthew 18, there's a process for that, but it's not punitive. It's for the point of restoration. It's because we love people and we love each other. We're going to hold each other accountable. 1 Corinthians 5 says, and when people won't held accountable, then that sin's got to be removed from the church, and that's in the form of the person has to be removed. And we don't rejoice in that. It's not personal. Our hearts should be broken that it even had to come to that place. And really, what could have been if that person was surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ? Edom gloated. They thought it was great that Israel's going to get the day. And what I fear, and what I've already seen a little bit and heard a little bit in the lives of Christians, is because there's a change in our government and there's such a division within our country, the church is starting, some in the church are starting to get a little hateful uh, against those and toward those who don't see things the way we see things. And friend, we're to love our enemies and to pray for them. Seek justice. Seek justice. But when you seek vengeance, you always lose. Because as God said, it's good. you're, you're going to receive your reward. Again, Galatians 6, 7 says, What you sow with, that you will reap. And my friend, if you seek to find justice through vengeance, then that's what you're going to reap. You're never going to find true peace with God in the situation. And I want to remind you, friend, that forgiveness is not approval. When someone wrongs you, 
and hurts you, seek justice. Seek to see, that, to see what was done wrong, made right as much as possible. And that person held accountable for their actions. But you've got to forgive them. And only God can help you do that because when you don't forgive them, they own you. And you'll not be able to love that person and to move forward and to love people the way that God wants you to because you're going to reap a broken heart when you try to bring an end to a hard situation with vengeance. But when you give it to God and you seek justice and you love that person, you reap grace. And it's the grace of God that sustains you to move forward. And so that was the tragic reward for Esau's sinful living. And I'm telling you, in the day in which we move forward and we continue to see a rejoicing in the things that God say are wrong and a hatred of the things that God says are right, if you don't focus on the real enemy and that it's the devil and you're not faithful in the real cure and that's to see the gospel be a reality in their life as they turn and trust Jesus Christ, you're going to be carried away with them. You're going to be on two different sides, but you're going to have the same hateful, vengeful heart as that person. Matthew 5, 44, we're to pray for those who despitefully use us. And then number three, the third truth we see from the book of Obadiah is the triumphant reign of Jesus Christ. Thank God he continues to encourage his people with, with the last chapter, the way the last of the story is really going to be laid out. He continued to encourage the nation of Israel, and we're encouraged today in, in the age of the church. Look at verse number 17 of Obadiah where he says, but on Mount Zion, even though adversity and hardship is going to come against Edom now, though they're going to experience the day of the Lord, though they've crossed the deadline and they're about to receive God's judgment in Israel, but on Mount Zion, amongst Israel, there shall be deliverance. There shall be holiness. Uh, the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. There's three words there. They'll be delivered. They'll be further set aside. There'll be holiness for the exclusive use of God. They're going to possess their possessions. What God has intended them to have, they're going to have. The house of Joseph shall be a flame and a fire, verse 18. Edom and the Confederacy had sought to extinguish them, to make them uh, to cease to exist, Psalm 89. But, but God says, not so. He says, I'm going to blow my holy oxygen on the fire. He says, and they're going to, they're going to flame. They're going to burn. And the house of Esau shall be stubble, and Israel shall kindle them and devour them. No survivor shall remain of the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. In Amos chapter 9, in verse number 8, God said, Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth, yet I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. That's what these remaining verses are about. All the nations who stand against God, they'll be destroyed. But only those who are with God are on the winning side. That's what God's trying to encourage his people with. Verses 19 through 21. He said, The south shall possess the mountains of Esau, and the lowlands shall possess Philistia, and they shall possess the fields of Ephraim and the fields of Samaria. Benjamin shall possess Gilead. All those areas in the Middle East today, which are occupied by the Palestinians, God says one day the rightful owner is going to possess them again. Friend, listen. All of those people are living on land that God has already deeded to the nation of Israel. It's theirs. And God says during the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, during the millennial reign of Christ, it will all be returned to their rightful owner. Uh, verse 20, The captives of Jerusalem who are in Sephrad uh, shall possess the cities of the south. Then saviors, 
shall come to Mount Zion to judge the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11, he says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, that's Jesus Christ, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven, of those on the earth, of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friend, that means everybody who curses the name of God and curses the name of Christ, one day, friend, they're going to praise the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It may be on a sheet of fire in hell, but every voice that has ever lived will cry to the glory of God that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so Obadiah was seeking not only to, to share a message of judgment to Edom, but also a message of encouragement to the nation of Israel and to us today. And it's the truth of the triumphant reign of Jesus Christ. Psalm 2, verse 9. Revelation chapter 2, verse 27. Revelation chapter 12, verse 5. Revelation 19, 15. Jesus Christ will rule one day with a rod of iron. He'll have the final word and the final say for all eternity. And so God continues to encourage His people to look forward to a brighter day. And I know things are, for those that love the Lord and love His Word and stand on the whole counsel of the Word of God, it's a difficult day to live in our country. It's a difficult day. And if you listen to the voice of the enemy, you can even become discouraged to the point uh, that, that you just become depressed and just stop. But God continues to remind us through His Word over and over again about the triumphant reign of Jesus Christ, that one day Christ is going to come again for His church, 1 Thessalonians 4. We'll be raptured out of this place. There's going to be seven years of great tribulation, but then Jesus Christ is going to return. And for 1,000 years upon this earth, He will rule a righteous reign. And we're going to be here with Him. What an encouragement. So don't, don't, don't focus, though, and look so forward ahead to the return of Christ, that you miss the opportunities of today. Be encouraged in that. Be excited about the coming of Christ. Certainly be looking, but don't look so far forward that you, you stumble over the opportunities that we have today to live on mission, to build relationships with others, to share with them the hope that's in our heart, to disciple and encourage other believers along the way. Pray for those uh, who wrong you and, and, and despise the things of God. Don't be pulled into the hateful, harsh attitude that a lot of people have right now for others in our country and other leaders who don't think and believe like us. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. Pray for them. Pray that they'll come to know Christ and honor Him and serve them. Pray for their salvation and be encouraged. Listen, that, that no one is beyond God's reach. No one who hates the things of God and despises the things of God and, and, and plots against the church in the days ahead, friend, is beyond the reach of God. But in that same truth, friend, listen, no one's beyond the reach of God's grace. If God can save you, He can save anyone. So pray for those people. Pray, pray and be burdened. Remember that no one's wiser than God. And be dependent upon His wisdom that's revealed in His Word. Daily turn to His Word and be encouraged. I want to ask you a question today. Are you on the winning side? It's, it's a simple yes or no. There's only two choices, friend. 
I know the world is in the world's wisdom. There's a thousand and thousand and twelve different flavors of religion. And somebody's popped up all the way down through history in every age to say what they believe it takes to experience life and eternity. But friend, the Bible declares there's only two types of people. There's lost people and saved people. There's folks that are on the winning side and folks that are on the losing side. And the only way to be on the winning side is for there to be a moment in your life where you repented of your sin. And by faith, you trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life. Can you identify a day like that? Jesus likened it to a, a spiritual birth in John 3, 7. He said, you must be born again. And just as certainly as you had a physical birth, whenever your birthday is, friend, you have to have a certain spiritual birth. There has to be a day, a moment, where you repented and trusted Christ and thereby were placed on the winning side. Can you identify that time, that moment? And friend, let that be right now. In the quietness and the depths of your heart, just bow your head and close your eyes and pray just like this and cry out to God for forgiveness in life. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me of all my sin. God, I turn from it today. I believe you died on the cross in my place. I believe that with all my heart. There's nothing I could ever do to save myself or save my soul. And I'm turning to you for salvation. I want you to be Lord of my life. I lay my life at your feet. Be Lord of me. Did you pray that prayer? Did you mean it? The Bible says, friend, if you did that, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You've been saved. You're on the winning side now. Call us here at the office. Email us. All that information is found on our website because we want to encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life. Church family, listen to me. Are you holding grudges against someone who's wronged you and hurt you? In this walk of life, friend, I promise you, someone's going to step on your toes. Someone's going to come against you. Someone's going to hurt you and cut you so badly. But what determines how you go forward in your life spiritually is how you deal with that hardship. You've got to give it to Jesus. You must forgive that person or those people. Seek justice, but not vengeance. And that begins by seeing people as Jesus sees them and being broken and burdened over what could have been in that person's life and what still can be if they'll only turn and trust him. But you're never going to be used by God to be a blessing in that person's life if you hold a grudge and you make it personal. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord, not ours. And third, won't you just be encouraged in these days? I know from just talking to people in the past week how burdened and challenged people are uh, because of what's going on in our country and the direction of our country. And the devil's going to try to just whit, uh, whisper in our ears in these days that all is lost. And just everything is down and everything's wrong and it's just falling apart and there's no hope whatsoever. I hope that during those days, friend, uh, you'll just remind the devil uh, the truth that you've been saved and you've been on the winning side. Won't you just sing this little song to him uh, when that happens? Just say to the devil, Once my soul was out in sin I had no peace, no joy within and my soul was burdened down with pride. But then the Savior, He came along 
And he showed me that I was wrong. And now I know I'm on the winning side. You tell him just like this. Now I'm on the winning side. Yes, I'm on the winning side. Out in sin, no more will I abide. Oh, I've enlisted in the fight for the cause of truth and right. Oh, praise the Lord, I am on the winning side. Friend, he'll have to flee. You're going to walk in victory. Your heart's going to be focused on the Word and on the mission. So don't you give ear to the devil, friend. If you've been saved, you are on the winning side. Greater is he that's within us than he that's within the Word. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to gather around you and your Word today. Father, we pray for those who have listened who still haven't turned to you and trusted you to be Lord of their life. God, we pray they'll be women and men most miserable. God, don't let them sleep. God, be involved in their lives. Shake them, stir them. God, I pray you'll bring others across their path that can witness to them and will live a holy life before them. And it will lead them to a place, God, that they'll turn and they'll trust you to be Lord of their life. Father, help us in these days to love those and pray for those who live contrary to your word. God, don't let us be pulled up with the lynch mob. God, that want to see hell, fire, and brimstone falling down upon people. God, we seek justice. But God, we most of all seek that all men and women will come to know you as Savior and Lord. And God, we'll trust you to bring about judgment in your plan and in your way. Oh God, I pray that we'll turn to you this week, fresh every morning to your word in a time of prayer. And that God, that from that, God, we'll walk in the light of your word. God, help us to be faithful, to live on mission this week. And God, thank you again that because the blood of Jesus Christ shall never lose its power, God, there's still hope for people to be saved even today. And God, thank you for the truth and knowledge that though we've been saved, God, we're on the winning side. And Lord, we can't wait to see you. God, we can't wait till you come for your church. But until then, God, find us faithfully doing what you've called us to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray and amen. Thank you again for joining us today. Until we see you again in the Lord's will uh, this Wednesday night at 6.30, may God richly bless you is our prayer.